It's Colossians 1, 21 to 23. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the, God, of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Well, I've been looking forward to this morning, you know, this book, Colossians, that we're going through this fall. Um, turns out it's pretty good. Like, it's pretty, it's pretty good. He's got some good things to say. Um, last week, we looked at one of the most beautiful passages, uh, I think, in the Bible, this, this, this picture into who Jesus is. And we just focused on him. We just celebrated him. And this morning, we have three verses, and I'll really just focus on verse 21 and 22 especially. But in two verses, we get in a very succinct but very compelling way the gospel message. And so these are just like foundational passages, who Christ is and what the gospel is. And so I really hope this morning that each one of us is able to experience the gospel. And my, my hope is I don't want to just do a Bible study together this morning. Okay? I want the Lord who is with us to encounter us this morning, that his good news, he might make that very real in our hearts and minds today. I can't make that happen. <laughs> Only he can make that happen. But that's been my prayer this week. Lord, would you just show up this morning and, and bring the gospel alive for us? And, and if maybe some of you here, and you, and when you hear that word gospel, you're not even sure what that is. Um, this is a great day to come to church. And you can hear the gospel, and you can experience it this morning. And some of you are here, and you've been going to church for your, most of your lives. And guess what? You need to hear the gospel this morning. And we've already heard it. Mark gave, gave a beautiful picture, and that, that Psalm, Psalm 103, which he read, is, is the good news. And we get to see it here this morning. So uh, I invite you this morning to consider, where do I need to hear the gospel again? Where do I need to come home to God in some fresh way in my life. And that's my prayer, that, that we would do that and that God would do that in us this morning. So let me, um, let me read to you actually back up in verse 12 of our chapter uh, where it says, uh, giving joyful thanks to the Father. And then this, this phrase, he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's some really powerful language in those two verses. And I want to just kind of set the context for this morning by reminding us that, that in, scripturally there are these two kingdoms that exist in the world. Okay, um, And let me show them to you. It's what Paul describes as there's the dominion of darkness and then there's the kingdom of light, or another way of saying it, the kingdom of the son he loves. Okay? And I want to talk about these two uh, dominions or kingdoms this morning. The dominion of darkness in our passage, in verse 21, is described in this way. It's when you are alienated from God, enemies in your mind, and, and pursuing evil behavior. Okay? 
There's a lot more we could say about the dominion of darkness, but in this passage, in verse 21, that's what Paul wants to tell us about the dominion of darkness. Versus the kingdom of light that we get in verse 22, where we are reconciled to God through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, and we are now holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. And what I want to do this morning is just put both of these dominions or kingdoms We've got a light issue going on right there. That'll be good. Some light and darkness. There's some, some lightning going on over there. Um, uh, cue the dark and light. Good. Um, I want to kind of look at verse 21 and 22 together, and I want to help us get inside what the dominion of darkness looks like, feels like, is like, and I want to try to get us inside what the kingdom of light is all about, what, it, what the experience of being in that kingdom is, all right? In our passage, of course, Paul is speaking to Christians, so he's saying, once this was your life, but now this is your life. And so I want to remind you, I want to invite you into the kingdom of light. I want to remind those of you who are in it that you are in it, but as I talk about these two kingdoms, you'll recognize, oh shoot, there's still some outposts of the dominion of darkness going on in my life, right? And so we're invited home to God's kingdom where we belong today. All right, so let's look at just these two verses, really, verse 21 and 22, and um, see the gospel, right? Once you were this, but now this is what God has done. So let's look first, verse 21. Once, uh, I'm going to talk about the dominion of darkness. I want to get inside of this using the language that Paul uses here, okay? Three descriptions you saw up there. This is what this dominion, and it is a dominion. It is a power network at work in the world today. Okay, And we get three descriptions. First one, probably most important. I won't spend as much time on it, but this is it. Once you were, what's the word? Alienated, right? Once you were alienated from God. Okay? That is a very relational term, right? We know it's like to be estranged from somebody. And Paul's saying that was every human being's life by nature being born into this dark world, you were alienated, you were estranged. There was distance between you and your creator. There was hostility or, or um, just absence. There was a lack of connection. The one who made you, you were alienated from him. The one who made you for himself, the one who will, in whom you'll find your deepest fulfillment and purpose in life, you were alienated. There was hostility, estrangement, that was your situation. And he goes on to make these two descriptions, and I, I really want to hone in on this this morning. I was just really fascinated by this. Two, two descriptions. Here's the first one. You were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds. Okay, I'm reading from the NIV. Yours might say something slightly different. But I, I really want, I want to kind of camp out on this phrase this morning. I want to get inside. What is the enemy mind? Your enemies of God in your mind, okay? I want to think through what does that mean? What was that life before we came to Jesus? Or if we've never heard about Jesus, what is that life, okay? What is this enemy mind? And what I want to do is I want to go back to the original alienation in the garden and think about the mindset that was at work there, okay? And as I describe this, you might recognize some of this in yourself even today could be true. Okay, so let's go back to the original alienation, Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Amazing place. There's no alienation. There is deep fellowship and intimacy with God. And God puts a tree in the middle of that garden, 
and it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I want you to use your imagination right now and imagine a tree. It's beautiful. I don't know what the fruit is. We all think it's an apple. Probably wasn't an apple, but who knows what it was, okay? But it's a beautiful tree. It's right in the middle of the garden, and God says, you can eat everything else, but don't eat from that tree, okay? And what he's saying, it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's saying, I, I don't want you deciding for yourselves what is good and what is evil. Okay? I don't want you ta- asserting that right for yourselves. Say, I know what's best. I know what's good. I know what's bad. I know what's healthy, what's unhealthy. I want you to trust me. Trust that I know what's best for you. Look at, I've given you all these things. You trust me for that knowledge and obey me, and it will be a beautiful life together. Right? And then the serpent comes in. And he starts just posing questions. And the, po- the questions are there to, to get them thinking, actually, you can't trust this God. He's holding you down. He's keeping you back for something great. And the implication is, you need to eat from this tree. You need to decide for yourselves what is good and what is evil. And let me suggest that that is the mindset behind what Paul's talking about, the enemy mindset. The enemy mindset says, I think I'll decide for myself what is good and what is evil, what is healthy, what is unhealthy. I'm not going to depend on some, you know, abstract God up there. I'm going to live my own life, okay? It is a mindset of self-reliance. I'm going to decide how I think I should live, right? And every human being grows up this way. Let me give you an example, real concrete example. You relate to this one because we live in Orange County, okay? For instance, Jesus says this, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, and here's the sentence, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He's making a claim about life. Joy, fulfillment, guess what? The amount of stuff you have has nothing to do with a fulfilling life. And the enemy mind looks at that and says, I think I'll decide that for myself. Thank you very much. Right? I think, I think I'll decide whether lots of stuff will make me happier than less stuff. I'm not going to trust that. I'm going to decide for myself. That's the enemy mindset. And so really, um, whenever we sin, um, there's, the enemy mindset is kind of the sin behind the sin. There's, you're always like, there's always two sins you commit when you commit a sin. So let me give you an example. So let's say you, um, let's say you look at porn, okay? You, you, you're looking at porn, you're looking at this, this image, and um, there's two sin, sins being committed there. One is you're taking an image bearer, right, made in God's image, and you are um, objectifying that image bearer and using it as just an object of your gratification, okay? That's the overt, obvious sin. But there's the sin behind the sin, which says, I think I'm going to decide for myself what's going to give me happiness and joy and comfort in this moment. That's the enemy mind, right? You're driving on the freeway, some guy cuts you off, bird goes up, right? Gun comes out, you shoot the guy, whatever, you, you, you cough, whatever you want, whatever it takes, Okay. Right? You've got, you've got this, again, you've, you've done something to an image bearer. That's sort of the, the surface sin. But there's a, there's a sin beneath the sin, and it's the enemy mind that says, I'm going to decide in this moment what will make me feel good. <laughs> I'm not going to depend on God for that, right? This is being enemies in the mind. It is a self-reliant mindset that says, 
I will decide how I want to live my own life. Okay? There's one other thing I want to talk about with this enemy mind. This is, I think, really important step. So that's the first thing, the self-reliant posture um, that wants to decide good and evil for ourselves. But then there's something else. And go back to the story in the garden, right? The minute they sin, they realize something, which is what? They realize they are naked, right? They've been naked the whole time, but now they experience their nakedness as, as exposure, as shame, as guilt. And there's something shameful and guilty about what they've done. And so rather than immediately at the moment, just go to God, whoops, sorry, God, right? Again, they choose self-reliance and, and, and say, oh my gosh, there's something broken or wrong about us. And the enemy mind says, and we've got to do something to fix this. So they embark on this threefold strategy, which is cover, hide, and blame, right? And so I want you to think about the first thing they do, try to cover themselves. They take fig leaves. I want you to actually picture, some of you have fig trees in your yard, okay? Picture the leaves on those trees. Picture gathering a bunch of them and taking needle and thread and trying to stitch them together and make a fig leaf costume, okay? Trying to cover yourself. Imagine doing that. And it kind of one phrase, you got to put it back on, and you're walking around trying to do that. But they cover, right? Then God shows up, and instead of running to God, they hide uh, behind in, in the trees. And then when he finally sh- finds them uh, and he calls them out, they start shifting the blame, right? Adam, it's your fault. No, it's uh, actually your fault, God, and it's the woman's fault. Woman, it's your fault. No, it's the serpent's fault, right? All this covering, hiding, and blame shifting. And this is the other aspect of the enemy mind. It, it, it says, I want what I want. I want to do life the way I want to do it. But then it, it intuitively feels its own brokenness and inadequacy and exposure. And it says, I need to do something to fix this feeling of inadequacy, guilt, shame that, I, that I'm having. And it embarks on a cover, hide, and blame strategy. And after millennia, we have developed very sophisticated ways of covering and hiding and blaming, right? And I, I loved your, um, I didn't know what Mark was going to share, but that confession actually caught some of these things. But we, we cover, right? We cover in all sorts. We cover from one another. We think maybe if I, can, if I can make enough money, if I can be successful enough, I can cover up this feeling of inadequacy, right? Maybe um, if I can just kind of go with the flow of culture, if I just don't stick out too much, um, that can, I can kind of hide in just being like everybody else. Maybe if I can just please everybody as well as I can, make sure everyone's happy with me, I can kind of deal with this feeling. Or we cover up from ourselves. We cover in addictions. We cover, we, we numb ourselves with substances, with activities, or with distraction because we don't want to sit in the silence of our own minds for five minutes, Right? And we shift the blame. We, we, we look out at the world and say, the problem's out there. Okay, we've developed these very, very sophisticated ways of doing this. Um, this is the enemy mind. And I wanted to take time for you to feel it and see it in the world and maybe even in yourself, right? It resists God's authority. It says, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And then it resists God's grace and says, I got myself into this mess and I've got to fix it myself. Right? And so, it, so to, the enemy mind is this very weird combination of pride and insecurity. Pride and insecurity. Okay? Thinking, 
I got to do this. And then, and then feeling the shame of that and, and pride and insecurity. That, that's the enemy mind. Okay? You are alienated from God and we're enemies in your mind. And then the last thing is your evil behavior. <laughs> okay? And of course, the enemy mind is going to result in all sorts of evil behavior. And that's it, not hard to see when you have a bunch of people who have minds of pride and security. You throw them into a room together, a lot of bad things are going to happen. Right? So there's, there's a lot of competing. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of insecure ego, oh, egos that are getting triggered, right? So there's conflict. Uh, there's competition. Uh, there's gossip to kind of shift the blame. Uh, there's lying. There's deceit. There's violence. There's abuse. There's sexual immorality. There's amassing of wealth to try to protect ourselves while neglecting the poor. All of these things. These, this mindset leads to all sorts of behaviors that we, we observe in the world, right? Uh, one last thing I want to say about the kingdom of darkness. What's interesting, my, my NIV actually reads, um, you are enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And different translations take that differently. But it says, you are enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And that might be the right translation. And that's certainly true of life. Um, so let me just explain this. So I, I studied psychology. That was my undergrad. And I'm um, sorry and thank you or you're welcome. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but um, there you go. Uh, no, I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, but one of, the, the, one of the, the best things I learned in psychology uh, it was, was this idea that we are enemies in the mind because of our evil behavior, meaning this. What I learned is we are not the rational, principled creatures we think we are. Meaning we don't like come up with, here's how I want to live in this really thought out, principled, valued way. These are the values that I'm going to pursue. This is how I'm going to live. And then my behavior issues from that, that mindset that's principled. Actually, what people do is they just start living. They just start doing things. And some of those things aren't great, right? And, and we all know this, right? We, someone is in a relationship, they start sleeping around in a relationship. They start watching a show that was like, this is a really inappropriate show and it's really good, but I'm just going to watch it, right? We just start watching it. Uh, I just start saying certain things to people. We just start doing stuff. And that stuff creates what psychologists call cognitive dissonance with our principles, right? I'm just living, I'm just doing things because I'm just a doing creature. That's probably not how I would do it if I was principled. Then there's dissonance, and there's two ways of solving that dissonance. One is change your behavior. The other is change your mind. <laughs> and that's what the NIV is suggesting we do. We want to do certain things, and then because we do those things, we, we slowly start to just change our theology, our philosophy, to fit the way we're living our lives, right? I, I'm just pursuing all this wealth, so, so I, okay, I got to come up with a theology that says that that's fine, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, I'm engaging relationships this way, so, okay, that's the behavior, so now I've got I've to change my mindset so it fits with my behavior. Right? We just do stuff, and then we have to deal with the consequences. All right, so that's a, that's a long time, I know, uh, in, the key, in the dominion of darkness, and there's so much more we could say that Paul says elsewhere but this is what Paul says. This is the dominion of darkness. And the most important part of that dominion is the word alienated, right? Humans have said, we're going to live how we want. Um, we're going to think the way we want. And we'll, we'll deal with our own problems. And so we've been estranged from God. And God looks out at this sea of humanity. 
And he has, on the one hand, he has all sorts of compassion, right? He made them. He loves them. God so loved the world. And at the other, on the other hand, they're committing really bad things that break his heart and that offend his holiness. And so he has this, this opposition to these behaviors and these mindsets, which is what goodness does. It opposes evil in all its forms. And so we have a serious relational problem with the Creator. Paul is saying to the Colossians, once that was your life, okay? And I want to say to you, <laughs> once you were under that dominion, and that is your past, that is not your present, and that is not your future. And so Paul turns then in verse 22 to, with these wonderful words, but now. <laughs> but now. Okay, I wanted you to feel that. And like I said, there's probably like, yeah, I still, I find myself dab dabbling in the dominion of darkness. I certainly do. But that is not our present, and that is definitely not our future. Paul says, but now. And so let's look now at verse 22 at the kingdom of light. But now, he, meaning God the Father, he has reconciled you. And I, I want you as much as you can this morning to get inside of this kingdom, to feel it today, to experience it in the words that Paul is using. He has reconciled you. Again, a very relational term, and it's one of my favorite terms in the Bible. Um, reconciliation in general is one of my favorite things, and every one of us in this room has had an experience of reconciliation, I hope, at some point in our lives, right? Where it might have been us personally, or we watched two others, but where there's conflict in a relationship, people have been hurt, people, people have been wounded, and then there's this, usually a conversation, right, where you come back together, and you apologize, you confess, you acknowledge, you work it out, and you come back together. And that reconciliation is such a beautiful thing. It feels so good to be reconciled in relationships, doesn't it? Like, it's a, such a beautiful thing. I've recently experienced that, uh, watching that happen, and it's, I love it. It's one of my favorite things in the world when people are reconciled to each other. And um, that is the gospel, is that we've been reconciled. But the, the interesting thing about how, dis, how Paul describes this is um, it all comes from God. <laughs> you know, normally like in human reconciliation, it's like, I wounded you, you wounded me. Um, we'll meet in the middle, right? Let's come together and be reconciled. And that's not how the gospel works. Right? We did all of the wounding, but God is the one who, who bridges the entire gap. It comes all the way to reconcile us to himself. The passage doesn't say, you and God were reconciled to each other. It doesn't say that. It says, God has reconciled you, right? This is not advice. This is good news. It's a reality. It's a message. It has nothing to do with something you've done. God has reconciled you. He has bridged the entire gap. He's come the entire way. He's done everything that needs to be done. How has he done this? He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, okay? Wild idea. The God of the universe has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. And I always think it's so fascinating. Our alienation 
Our original alienation happened at a tree, right? It's a beautiful thing that our reconciliation happens at a tree, at the cross, through Christ. God sends his own son to die on our behalf. And I just, the way that Paul describes this here, it's, it's not just God sending someone else to do his dirty work. Okay, I want you to hear that based on what we learned about Jesus last week. Look at verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, right? So it's not just God sending someone else to do his dirty work. God is present in the person of his son, Jesus. God in Jesus says, there's a dominion of darkness. I'll enter into that dominion of darkness as a fellow human being. And he goes to the cross, Christ's physical body through death. Okay? And what Christ is doing there is he's paying the penalty for our enemy minds, our evil behaviors. Okay? He's serving the just sentence that God's holiness demands on our behalf. And you have God himself in the person of Jesus dying for us. Okay? There's so much rich theology on the cross but I just want to say in the simplest of terms today, you have God on a cross saying, come home to me. Like, I, I have done everything that needs to be done. Every false move you've made, every attempt to cover that up, all the hiding and shaming, you, you don't have to do that anymore. Come home to me. I have reconciled you to myself through Jesus Christ. Right? Come home. Stop trying to figure this out on your own. Stop trying to make up for it. Stop trying to have cover and hide and, and, and all of that. You do not have to do that. I've taken care of everything. Okay? I've reconciled you. Reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Okay, I want to try to get inside of those words. But before I do, there's one thing Paul doesn't mention here that he'll mention uh, later in Colossians, and it's this. Um, when we put our faith in Jesus, right, our sin is laid on the cross, right? Jesus pays the penalty for that. And Jesus' righteousness is given to us. It's like, imagine Christ on the, on the cross, and then he comes down and he's got this fresh robe for you that he comes and he just wraps you in this robe. It's his own righteousness, okay? You get your Jesus clothes, if I can put it that way. And remember what happened in the garden, right? You've got these two human beings trying to keep fig leaves, protecting themselves with fig leaves, and God comes, and what does he do? He gives them real clothes. He sacrifices animals, and he gives them clothes of animal skin that are permanent, that you're not always having to patch together. He, he covers them. He protects them. He clothes them. And this is what he does in Jesus Christ, is he now clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. We get our Jesus clothes. And they fit, and they don't wear out. We don't have to worry if they're constantly falling off. They're permanently there. And because of those clothes that we now wear, that's why we can experience these three descriptions. And just look at your Bibles if you have them. Holy in his sight. Okay, just, I'm not even going to describe these too much, but I just want you to try to sit with these pictures. You are now holy in the sight of the, of the holy God. 
He looks at you, says, you belong to me. You're mine in the best way. <laughs> You're my child, and, and you are set apart. You are set, you are rescued from that dark dominion, and you're holy in my sight. Without blemish. Okay, that's a really nice one. Uh, for all of us who are well aware of our faults and all the ways we fall short, God says, I, I look at you, and I see your Jesus clothes. <laughs> I see you covered in the righteousness of my son, there's, you are, you're faultless in my son, faultless. And free from accusation. Okay, all those accusations that come our way all day long, um, some of them come from the world, some of them come from the enemy, some of them, most of them probably come from ourselves, <laughs> right? It's like, but we've got these, we've got our Jesus righteousness. It's like this armor and those accusations, they still come, but they don't have to pierce. Like they just hit and they fall away. You're free from any accusation that means anything. Sure, the accusations come. They don't mean anything. Not in the sight of God. Okay, this is the kingdom of light. This is your reality. You are reconciled. God has reconciled you through the death of his son. You are covered every day, covered in Christ. And in that way, you're holy without blemish and free from accusation. And as I said, all because of what God has done. This is not good advice I'm offering. I haven't told you to do anything yet. <laughs> Didn't tell you to do anything last week. I haven't told you anything this week. This is news about what God has done. John Stott puts it this way. The gospel is not good advice for us, but good news about Christ. It's not an invitation to us to do anything but it's a declaration of what God has done. It's not a demand, but an offer. This is the offer. This is the gospel offer. It's truth. It's a message. And if that's the case, then I suppose the question is, so then what do we do? <laughs> what is our role? And I'll leave you with verse 23. Here's your role. In a word, faith. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. What is our role? Nothing. <laughs> it's a message. It's a truth. It's a reality. Just trust it. Just believe it. And, and clearly, keep on trusting it your whole life. Don't ever let it go. That's what faith is. And, and I want to leave you with just like a, a practical, but what does faith actually look and feel like in life, Okay. What I want to suggest today, I mean, clearly what faith is, is trusting in Jesus, trusting in what I just shared. But, okay, how does that work day to day? Here's how I want to I'll leave you with this, this picture of faith. What faith is doing, it is abandoning that self-reliance that I talked about earlier. The self-reliance of the enemy mind, right? Abandon that, that self-reliant posture that says, I think I'll decide for myself what is good and what is evil, what is right and what's wrong. Abandon that whole project and go, turns out, I don't know so well about what's good for me. God, I'm going to start trusting that you know what is good for me. As I turn to your word and you say things about how life works, I'm going to stop thinking, no, I want to do it the way I want to do it. I'm going to start going, maybe you know a little better than I do. I'm going to start 
trusting you. It might feel a little unnatural at first. Really? Life really doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions? Everything I've ever been told tells me opposite. But I'm going to start trusting that. There is not greater joy to be found if I could get the house in the neighborhood I want. If I could get the car I want, right? If I could have the retirement account that I want, I'm going to start trusting. It feels super unnatural to me, Lord. But I'm going to start to trust. I'm going to abandon this idea that I know what's best. I'm going to start trusting that you know what's best. And then finally, it also is about abandoning all the ways we try to cover, hide, and blame, which is, again, self-reliance, right? What do I try to do? How do I try to, 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 to cover, hide, and blame? I'm trying to impress people. I'm trying to perform. Even in religion, I'm trying to crush it religiously, or I'm trying to nail my, my religious duties. It's, it's abandoning all of that. No, God, I, can't, I cannot solve the problem of my own guilt and shame, and I don't have to. I'm going to start to trust these clothes that you've given me. I'm going to start to wear them with pride. And when that insecurity pops up again, when my ego's triggered and I want to do it my own way, I'm going to start trusting, oh, Jesus, I don't have to do that anymore. Like, you, you died, so I don't have to hide anymore. You died, so I don't have to cover up. I don't have to shift the blame anymore because I live in the kingdom of light now. And so I get to step out every morning and step into the light with all of the faults that I know I have, all the brokenness, all the inadequacies, but in the righteousness of Christ, I get to step out. And so faith is so interesting. Self-reliance is this weird mixture of pride and insecurity. Like I said, pride, we just go, it's this vortex of pride and insecurity. Faith is actually humility and deep security. Humble confidence in what God has done for us. And so that's what we're invited into today. So I want to encourage you, wherever you need to step into the kingdom of light today, the answer is faith. Stop relying on yourself. Start trusting. Let me pray, and then we get to come to these tables as an act of faith. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, I pray wherever the darkness has sinked back inside of us, that today would be a day where your spirit just kind of, you know, like the spirit hovering over the waters in creation, that you would, you would move into all those places of our lives. You would release our self-reliant pride and our fears. You might welcome us again in a fresh way home. You you'd remind us of your goodness and your grace. We might experience it, and we might trust you. This is a life of faith. Give us deeper faith to trust you, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.